So we thought we'd start off 2018 with just like a small, like a little light question, just kind of roll ourselves into the air. Who is God? It's a gigantic thing. I mean, we hear there's all sorts of different thoughts and opinions, and it's something we care about. Even people who don't think there is a God feel strongly about that. So who is God? What do, what do we do with that? Why does that even matter? We have a tendency to, to shape God in our image, to make God the way we want God to be, that we project onto God things that we, we want from him or things that we wish he was. If we don't want uh, someone to tell us what to do, then, then our, that shapes our view of God. And then God then is this, is this ethereal thing that's in all of us. Uh, sometimes you'll hear people say, well, God is the same and all religions point to God. And I think most religions would disagree with that. I think they would have an issue with that to say, well, their conception of God is who they worship. And we certainly would say that, that, that we disagree with that too, that we have a very specific idea of who God is because the Bible has a very specific idea of, of who God is because God is real. 87% of Americans, according to a recent study, have a strong belief that God exists, that there is a God that exists. What we disagree on is who that God is. How do we experience that God? How do we know that God? We want to control and shape our world, and that's why our view of God is different. I studied ancient history in college. I am an unabashed history nerd. I love that stuff. And that's a common thread throughout all of these pantheistic, polytheistic religions, these mythologies back in, back in the day, in the Bronze Age is the day I'm talking about back in the day, is you create a system with all these gods because when there was something new you didn't understand, you'd create a god to do it. So it's like, well, these storms come up and I don't understand storms, so we'll create a god to, to control those storms. It's our measure of kind of shaping and controlling our world. So who is God? Who is the God that we talk about here? Now, let me just tell you this up front. There is not a chance, there is not a chance that we will exhaust this issue in, in 28 minutes this morning. It is not, po- I'm not that good. It's not possible. Think of this more as a, as a survey, as like it's one of those survey classes in college. That's the idea behind this series, Welcome to God. We want to talk about some big foundational truths, some big foundational ideas, and there is not a chance that we will exhaust these. If you leave this morning having absolutely no questions, uh, that clearly was not my doing. Because just, these are huge, massive things. This is going to be like trying to take a sip of water, not even from a fire hydrant, but from like Niagara Falls. And that's okay. That's okay, because these are big things, and we want to start the conversation and dive into this a little bit. So who is God? Well, the God of the Bible, the God that we talk about, is described in this kind of churchy term called the Trinity, The Trinity just means that God exists, that God is one, but God exists in these three persons, that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, that God is one but also uniquely distinct. And I'd love to give you some sort of picture or analogy to describe something that can simultaneously be one thing while being three things, but that doesn't exist. And if you're thinking, this man, this is like hard to wrap my brain around, yes, you're right. And if you think about it too much, you, you, they'll find you and your brain will have exploded. As you're, they're like, oh, thinking about the Trinity, that's probably what it was. But God is, God is one, but God exists in three distinct persons, in, in God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And the, there's an idea all the way back in the Old Testament, in Deuteronomy 6.4, of the, this oneness of God. When I went to, uh, when I lived in Israel, I went to a, a Messianic Jewish congregation, and we said the Shema every week, which is from Deuteronomy 6. 
Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. And before you're super impressed, that's literally the only Hebrew I remember. That's it. I'm out. But the Lord your God, the Lord is one. That there is one God. That Yahweh is the God, is how he's described in the Old Testament. Many names, many characteristics, many attributes, but one God. One God. And these manifested through these three persons throughout the story of the Bible. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And we're going to try and understand who God is through three God is statements that are in the Bible. Three attributes of God, three characteristics of God that we see all throughout Scripture. And the first one is this, that God is holy. God is holy. All right, Psalm 99 verse 9 says, Exalt the Lord our God and worship at his holy mountain in Jerusalem, for the Lord our God is holy. Revelation chapter 4 verse 8 is really cool. This picture of the writer's able to kind of give a glimpse into heaven and the angels are worshiping God and it says day after day, night after night, they keep on saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, the one who always was, who is, and is still to come. God is holy. God is holy. Well, what's holy mean? What's that, what's that word mean? It's not something we we use all the time. It means separate. It means sacred. It means set apart. It means transcendent. It's God's otherness, all right? Holy means that God is, is set apart from humanity, that God is different, that God is perfect in all his perfection, that that is the very essence of who God is. In fact, it's interesting that holy, holy, holy is talked about with God because in Hebrew writing, if you wanted to emphasize something, you'd say it twice. You'd repeat it, all right? And that let your audience know, hey, this is a big deal. If you said it three times, they were saying, it was like gigantic red sirens. Sirens aren't red, they sound. But if they sounded, maybe they sound red, I don't know. But like with red lights going off, that's what I meant. There we go. And it'd be like, pay attention, this is a big deal. Holy, holy, holy means the wholeness, the completeness, the fullness of God is his holiness. It's the defining characteristic of God. He's holy. Holiness is hard for us to understand because it's one of the attributes of God that's not part of the human experience. That frankly, part of God's holiness is the fact that he's set apart from us, that he's different from us, that he is, his otherness means he's uh, removed from us. But it's core to who he is. This holy God is perfect and mighty and powerful and worthy and awesome. One pastor says it this way. I really like how he said it. God's holiness is his godness. It is his being God in all, in all that it means for him to be God. To meet God in his holiness, therefore, is to be altogether overwhelmed by the discovery that he is God and not man. Understanding God's holiness is understanding that he is different, that he is set apart, that he is powerful, that he is mighty, that he is huge, that he is beyond our comprehension. And that's hard sometimes for us because we want to understand. There's a desire in, in us as humans to be able to wrap our minds around things. But part of faith is learning to be okay with that, that we don't fully get it. Because here's the thing, we're not gonna fully know everything about God or fully understand it because we don't even fully know everything about the people in our lives that, that we love. 
this uh, New Year's Eve, my family was in Chicago, and we went to dinner with my 97-year-old grandfather, who is just a rock star. I love this guy. It's a picture of us from October. It's my dad, my grandfather, and obviously the bearded one is me. Um, so we're sitting at dinner, and we're talking about just life, and we're asking him questions about growing up, and he shares this story that when he lived in Detroit, I didn't even know, I had no idea he lived in Detroit. He lived in Texas when I was growing up. I always assumed he was from the South. He was born in Oklahoma, from Texas. I didn't even know he lived in Detroit. But he lived in Detroit, and in addition to his job, he worked door-to-door selling Bibles. And my dad, who's known his father for 61 years, had never heard that before. He'd never heard that. He's like, wait, what? You sold Bibles? Tell me about that. I had no idea. 61 years. He's known him his entire life. That's a long time. You'd think that they've talked. I mean, they get time now every Friday. They get together. They, they spend moments together. They, they share life. He had no clue of that. Now, if my dad, who's really close with his dad and spends a lot of time with him, there's no clue that this part of his life had happened, how could we possibly hope to understand everything about the God of the universe? There's things that I don't know about my wife. You know, you'll hear like a thing like, oh, I did this in college. You're like, well, I I had no clue. How could we possibly hope to understand and know everything about the God of the universe? Frankly, I'm less impressed with a God that I can fully understand. The mystery, the hugeness, the vastness, that otherness is what makes God, God. And so God's holiness is why we worship him. God's holiness is why we worship him. It's an acknowledgement and an understanding that he is sovereign and powerful and he is the creator, that he is the Lord of the universe. His holiness matters because that's why he's worthy of worship. That holiness of God is what makes him God. The next God is statement is God is love. God is love. And some of you might be familiar with that, and we like that one, right? That's like the warm and fuzzy one. It's like, yeah, that's right. God is love. I like that. 1 John 4, verses 7 and 8 say, Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God, but anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Now, it's important to note here that Love is not something God does, right? Love is not something that God does here. It's something that is central to who he is. It's an extension and an outflow of his character. That because God is love, that everything God does is done in love. All God's actions are done in love. God's movement towards us is his loving movement. God's grace is his loving grace. God's correction is God's loving correction. It's central to who he is. It's not just something he does, it's, it's who he is. Now that might beg the question, you might say, how could a loving God do and fill in the blank? How could a loving God allow, fill in the blank, allow disaster, allow pain, allow hurt? Like that's, that's something people wrestle with frequently. How, or, all right, if God is loving, then, then why isn't my life exactly how I want it to be? That's really what we're saying. If God is loving, why would he allow anything that I don't want to happen to happen? And the hard thing with that question, and number one, let me say, I get that question. I have wrestled through that question. That is a question I struggle with too. But the hard thing about that question is that there's an unintentional arrogance on our part to go, the God of the universe had better make himself explainable to me. 
He owes me an explanation. He, he should be doing what I want, that God needs to work in the way I want him to work in a way that I can understand it according to what I want done. But the short answer to that question of why does God allow those things is, I don't know. I don't know, because he doesn't check with me. I mean, that would be great. Hang on, what was that? Okay, let me check, God. Okay, yeah, okay, got it. They're not gonna like that. You sure? Okay. Okay, God says, oh, he doesn't just check with me. I don't know. But I understand at, at the very least that there is a purpose beyond what I can wrap my puny little brain around. Like I think I'm a reasonably intelligent guy and there's stuff that I just don't understand about, about the world. How could I possibly hope to understand this infinite cosmic God? You know what? It, it, being a parent has helped me understand this a little differently and a little better. Having kids really helped me kind of experience this in a different way. My youngest daughter is named Callan. She's three years old. Look at that. She's adorable. How could you not love that face? And she's a handful. A handful. We were with my parents over the Christmas season, and my dad, we were in the car one time, and he's like, she's, she's a challenge, Josh. And I was like, okay, it's not just me. It's not just me. <laughs> Of course, and then he says, you know, that was exactly like you when you were a kid. It's like, oh, sorry about that. Sorry about that. But I mean, I love this little girl, but she has very, very strong opinions about nearly everything. <laughs> nearly everything. And she feels like what she wants, like she wants it right then. And listen, as a parent, it would be so much easier just to give her what she wanted. It'd be so much easier just to go, sure, you can have that, add it, sure. Have the bottle of Tic Tacs, even though it's 7.30 in the morning, that's fine. No, you know what? You don't have to go potty. Why? Why bother to go potty? Just don't even worry about it. Like, why the fight over going potty? It's like we do this every day. At some point, you think she'd just give in. But apparently, potty is a gigantic deal. And she'll just dig her tiny little three-year-old heels in on stuff. And I get that temptation is to just let her have it or just let, give in and not make her do it. But love, that's not loving her. Loving her is saying, I'm going to step into your life because I know what's better for you than you do at this point. I need you to trust me and I, I need you to understand that you will want to go to preschool and if you can't go to the bathroom in the bathroom, that's going to be a problem. Or that if I let you have nothing but sugar, that will be an issue when your teeth fall out at age six. I know what is best in, in these situations, but she doesn't. And loving her means being willing to step in, being willing to give her consequences. I don't want to give her consequences. I don't enjoy that. Like, I don't go up to my room and like, I showed her who's boss. That's right. Who's the man? Like, that's that. There's no... There's no validation for that? That's not fun. I don't do that because it's easy. I don't do it out of, out of anger towards her. I do it because I love her. Love means saying the hard thing sometimes. Love means saying the true thing, and that's what God's love towards us means. When we wonder how could God let stuff happen, let life not be the way I want it, it's because he loves us. Because sometimes the only way to take our attention off of ourselves and move it on to him is to experience a pain that causes us to reorient our world. Sometimes that's the only way. And if I think, if we are honest, if we really are willing to search our soul, we will understand that there is truth to that. 
God loves us enough to step into our lives and allow it to be difficult in order to grab our attention when he needs it. He loves us that much. It's hard, but it's true that God does those things precisely because he loves us. And one of the ways that we see this idea powerfully communicated is through God sending his son. Because if God's holiness is, is best seen through the idea of God the Father, this, this infinite cosmic being, then, then God's love is seen easily through his son, God the Son. God's saying, I love you people so much that you fall short of my holiness, but I want to make a way for you to be okay with me, that our relationship has been broken because we fall short of the standard God has set, but God said, I will build the bridge for you. I will move all the way towards you, that it's not about you finding me, but it's about me finding you, rescuing you, drawing you to myself. That's what his son did. God's holiness and our sinfulness means we are separated from him, but Jesus came to bridge that gap and bring us home. That's God the Son stepping into our world that we might know him. God's love is that he would send his Son, that he would pour out the wrath that is, we deserve, pour it out onto his Son, that when his Son cried out, that he would turn his back on him to allow our penalty to be paid fully by someone else. That's God's love. When life is hard and we find it difficult to believe that God is loving, all we need to do is remember that God sacrificed the life of his son for you. That's how deeply loved you are. Is there a person in the world you would sacrifice your children for? God did that for us. That's God the son, the fulfillment of God's plan to redeem people back to himself. God's love is how we know him. That an infinite cosmic God can be known because he has moved towards us through his son. And lastly, God is holy, God is love, and God is near. God is near. Psalm 145, 18 says, The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. The Lord is near to all who call on him. This is an incredible truth. This is what separates Christianity from every religion I'm familiar with, that God would move all the way towards us, that God is near to us, that God is knowable. There are times that we had this view, this idea that God is, is this bully, that God sits on high, that, that, that he is removed from us, that he just is, is ordering us around and telling us what to do, but that's not true. God is near. He's not distant. He's not unknowable. He is near. God wants people to know him. He wants people to know him. He's a personal God. He's not distant from us, but rather he is nearer than we know. Think about that. This amazing God, this, this transcendent God, this God that is holy, that is removed from us, this God that created everything, the God that created time, the God that created the the, the fabric of the universe that everything fits into, that that God is knowable by us. And not even like as a group, but knowable individually. We can have a relationship with that God because he wants us to have a relationship with him. Like that just, that blows my mind when I stop and think about it. The God of the universe wants an intimate relationship with us, and he's made that possible. 
How many of you can list your state senators? I don't know. Like, I, I'm not, how, many does, how many does Indiana have? This is all new. I'm learning. Like, do we know all of their names? I don't know. Do we have access to them? I couldn't call up the, the, a senator and say, hey, I have a question for her. I couldn't have that kind of access. And that's just at a state level. How about a, the city council? Like, could, could we just call everyone up? Do we know them all? Do we have as much access as we want? No, just because that's reality, right? But the God of the universe welcomes us to him and says, you have access to me. I want you to come. I want you to know me. I want to know you. One of the ways that God shows that nearness to us is by his Holy Spirit, God the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is, is often misunderstood. We don't really know what to do with, with the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit is, is the part of God that he, put, he imparts, that he puts into the life of a, of a follower of Jesus to convict us of sin and to convince us of truth. It's God working in us, because think about it like this. If, if we can never be good enough to earn God's favor, if we can never be good enough to earn God's love, and so God graciously allows us to be loved and forgiven by Jesus, that the sacrifice of Jesus welcomes us into his, his family. Well, if I couldn't be good enough on the front end, well, once I'm inside, I, I can't suddenly be good enough now. I'm still me, right? Like I couldn't be good enough before. How do I be good enough now? The Holy Spirit is God's way of saying, I'm not asking you to be. What I want you to do is surrender. Let me work in you. It's, it's the part of God that works in us to change us and transform us and make us new. If you've been a follower of Jesus for any length of time, if you stop and reflect and look back, I, I would venture to say that you're different. You've changed in some ways. You've, you've grown. You've matured. You've developed. You don't struggle with the same stuff, with all of the same things. doesn't mean that there aren't still consistent struggles, but there's been movement in your life, and that movement is the work of the Holy Spirit. God moving in us, God showing his nearness to us by working in us and changing us from the inside out. What incredible love, what incredible mercy that God would do that on our behalf. That God wouldn't say, figure it out, though we would have every right to. That God wouldn't say, you need to perfect this, you need to fix this. If you want to come to me, you need to change and be, and be right with me. God doesn't say that. God says, surrender, let me change you. Man, that's so encouraging. I'm so different than I used to be, and I'm so grateful. And I know at my deepest level, it's not just because I figured it out. I mean, I wish I could say that. Like, wouldn't that be nice to be like, yeah, that's right. Checking off some boxes. That's right. I'm pretty good. Pretty good person. I know it's God working in me. Because I can feel that tug sometimes between what I want to do, what's easy to do, and what's right. And, and I don't, I'm not drawn to truth. I'm not drawn to rightness. I want to think about myself. That's my default setting. But the ways that I've changed and the ways that I've grown, are, it's God working in me. It's God changing me, making me more like his son. And that's what I look forward to. That's what I want more of. I want more of God in my life and less of me because the me part is like the broken part and the God part is the good part. It's like, how do I get more of that? I'd like more of that. I'm like the gristle and the fat and God is like the filet mignon part. It's like, I'd like more of that. I've never heard anybody order a steak and be like, can you give me, what's the worst cut you have? 
If it, you have like something that's like 85, 87% like nasty gristled fat stuff, like I don't hear people ordering that. I want more of the good stuff and less of me, and that's the hope of the Holy Spirit. Jesus says it like this in John 14, verses 15 and 17. He says, if you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. He says, God's going to send this spirit to be in you and change you and make you new. And that's good news. That's good news. God's nearness is how we experience him. God's nearness is how we experience him. He has moved all the way towards us, and that nearness is how we experience him as, as he works in us and changes us and makes us new. Is there anybody who wouldn't like to change some things about them, They'd like some things to be different? We all, we all have stuff. Maybe for some of you, it's like, well, just one or two things. I'm pretty good for the most part. And I'm like, okay, maybe that's true, but there's still one or two things. And maybe some of you are like me, and it's like, how long do you have? Because mine's broken down into chapters. Like, I got subheadings. And my hope to be new is the God of the universe, this holy God that loves me so much that he would move towards me, he would move towards you, he'd move towards us, that we might experience the life we were created to know. So this leaves us with a simple question. Do you know this God? Do you know this God? Where are you stuck? Where are you having a hard time? What's tripping you up? Is it the holiness of God? Maybe for you, you're wrestling with, I don't, I don't know, how do I really know that this, that this God is, is this big? How do I know that he's true? How do I know that he's real? How do I know that he's, he's worth worshiping and, and living for? Maybe for you, it's the love of God. You're going, how could I possibly be loved? You don't know me. You don't know what I've done. I can't be loved. You have a hard time loving yourself, so how could you possibly receive the love of the God of the universe? Or maybe for you, it's the nearness of God. That's me often. I know this stuff. I know it's true. I mean, I get it. But there are times I don't feel close to God, and I want to feel close to God. There's times I don't. And the reality is I know it's my fault. I know I've walked away. In fact, I love how this one monk this said in the 13th century, he said, God is at home. It's we who have gone out for a walk. And it's like, man, that's so me. And I have a hard time experiencing the nearness of God. And it's not God's fault. It's because I got my arm up and I'm trying to like keep him away because it's almost like I don't know that I deserve it or I don't know how to get it or I can't get out of my own way. What is it for you? What would it look like for you to engage with him this week, to engage with God this week? What would it look like? You know the real talk right here, hashtag real talk, pastor real talk? The best thing about being a pastor is I don't have to sell this stuff. I don't feel like I have to sell it to you because I'm not up here because I'm an expert. I'm up here because I'm a satisfied customer. That God has worked in my life that God is big enough for these things. That's what's great is that God is this big, that we, we can come and say, God, make yourself real to me. Help me understand that. Bring your baggage, bring your stuff because God loves you and wants to work through that with you. 
We feel like we gotta figure it out before we can come. God's saying, bring it all, lay it down, let's do it. Let's do this thing. That's how you know a relationship's real, right? When you can come and just be a mess. When you can, when you can show up without having showered or, or you don't have makeup on and you're in the clothes you wore yesterday and you smell a little bit and there's like a little food on your shoulder that you didn't notice. That's a friend when you can show up and they still love you and they'll give you a hug. God is saying, come like that to me. What would it look like for you to engage with God, to talk with God, to spend time with God this week? I'm just going to give you an easy access point. If you're a follower of Jesus, let me just leave this with you. When's the last time you were overwhelmed by the greatness and the majesty of God? When's the last time? And it's so easy for us to kind of put God in a nice little box and this is like a thing we do. But when's the last time you were overwhelmed by the holiness of God? The greatness and the majesty and the awesomeness of God. When's the last time? What would it look for you to experience that this week? To look out at a sunset, to look out at creation, to look at the things he's blessed you with, to look at your family, to look at whatever it is. To think about the world and all that's in it and be amazed and, and awed by how big God is. If you're here and you're not yet a follower of Jesus, my hope for you is that you understand that the God of the universe created you, loves you, cares about you, knows you, and wants you to know him. God's holiness demands perfection we cannot achieve. God's love offers forgiveness we do not deserve. And God's nearness brings freedom we were created to experience. What would it look like for you to experience that this week? This pastor, this famous pastor, says it this way. He says, we wonder why we don't have, when we wonder why we don't have faith, the answer is faith is confidence in the character of God. And if we don't know what kind of God God is, we can't have faith. How do you lean into experiencing God this week? Understanding who God is. These are giant things. These are giant things. And so what we're going to do in this series is, is give you resources if you want to dive in more. I'm going to give you a couple books that you, could, you can tackle if you want to. And on Tuesday, check Facebook because we'll have more resources and we'll have some links and articles and videos, some things that you can check into. Because we want to walk, this is a journey that we're going to dive into together. I'm going to give you three books this morning that you can, you can think about. We're going to put them up here so you can see them. The first is Reason for God. Reason for God. That's by Tim Keller. If you're looking if you're, for an entry point, if you're like, this doesn't, I, I don't know that this makes any sense. Like, I, I, where do I start? How do I get, get a, a, an overall picture of who God is? It'd be a great place to start. The second book that pictures mysteriously gone is uh, Knowing God by J.I. Packer. Super famous book. If you want something you can study and, and, and use kind of as a devotional and, and, and dig into for a little bit longer period of time, that'd be a great book. And lastly, The Knowledge of the Holy by A.W. Tozer, which just sounds impressive, doesn't it? That's the kind of thing you want to name drop with your friends. What are you reading? Uh, you know, just a little light reading, The Knowledge of the Holy. How about you? And they're like, uh, Harry Potter. <laughs> but that's a great book. It's, it's only about 150 pages, I think, but that's some real great substance about diving into the character and the attributes of God. Folks, God wants you to know him. These resources are great to kind of take some deeper steps, but the best thing you can do is spend time with him. He wants you to spend time with him. 
because he wants you to know how loved and how known you are.